millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome back. I'm Carl Mack, and this is Combat Chronicles, and it is the award show, the 2022 Combat Chronicles end of year awards uh, somewhat special that we've got here because uh, for those that have been listening since the start of this podcast the very first episode of Combat Chronicles was last year's end of year awards it came out on the 2nd of January uh, recording this on the 1st of January not sure when it will come out but basically we've made it a whole year of Combat Chronicles so uh, I'm pretty proud of that and thanks to you all for your support funny thing is on last year's uh, end of year awards, which, as I say, was the first episode, before the awards, I actually covered the end of year Rising card. But if you want to hear my coverage of that, from prelims to Rising 40 up to Bellator versus Rising, head on over to Combat Chronicles Patreon. Use your address, www.patreon.com slash Combat Chronicles. You can hear my coverage of that event. But the point I made last year was I hate when people do their end of year awards in the middle of December because we might well get some contenders uh, for your end-of-year awards at events around this time of year. So, obviously, New Year's Eve is often a big time uh, in, in Japanese combat sports, in boxing and in mixed martial arts. Um, no different this year. Um, and I had to hold off anyway because there was a fighter competing at yesterday's Rising versus Bellator card that I thought might have, been, might have had a chance of fighter of the year, and we're going to get to that later. Now, I actually went back and listened to that uh, last year's awards podcast because I couldn't really quite remember all the awards that were up for grabs. And also, it was quite interesting to listen to in a kind of uh, experimental way to see how far I've come. And I think I sound a lot more natural now on the mic and you know, I actually find it a bit more conversational and maybe a bit, hopefully a bit more uh, interesting to listen to. But back then, it was kind of a bit stammery, a little bit. not really finding my voice, so to speak. And now I just feel like I'm just chatting to my mates. So hopefully that comes across. Um, the awards, I'm not quite sure the order I'm going to uh, read them out in, but round of the year, finish of the year. Now, last year, I stupidly, as soon as I uploaded it, I thought, fuck, I've done knockout of the year. It should be finish of the year. You know, I'm, spoiler alert, isn't a submission that's going to win it this year. But the fact is, last year, I was discriminating against submissions. So there are some subs that make that category. Moment of the year, you know, speaks for itself. But, you know, it could be like a great card. could be just a single achievement, something that blew my mind. Um, last year, a moment of the year was uh, Fedor Emelianenko's win over uh, Tim Johnson, which, you know, just really warmed my heart. Performance of the year, just based on, you know, how comprehensive the win was, or maybe it's um, someone over-exceeding expectations, or just uh, a high-level win over a high-level opponent. Fight of the year, 
speaks for itself. Fighter of the year speaks for itself. Um, they're going to be the two final categories. I know that much. And fighter of the year is the one which, at time of recording, I still haven't decided. There's a shortlist, and I think I'm just going to weigh it up live as a record and figure it out. Um, and basically, as I say it, I'll figure it out. I really haven't got a clue who's going to win fire of the year. In terms of separating one person from the pack, it's tough. Um, last year, as I said, I wait till New Year's Eve and Saker Azawa jumped out on me for her incredible year and her incredible performance in that end of year Rising card. Uh, needless to say, if you've listened to uh, the Rising Bellator podcast on Patreon already, you'll know that Azawa, bless her, not going to win this year. Uh, brilliant though she is. Um, but yeah, there's no one really leaping out for a number of reasons and you'll see as I provide context for each of the fighters and the years they had and my interpretation of those years I'll obviously lay out my criteria as I record this podcast there isn't really anyone which has grabbed me to the extent I go yep that's them that's the winner and when we get to that category I'll explain why let's start off with a fun category and actually I think it's the category that's got the most entrance and that is really good because it shows what exciting year we've had that category is finish of the year and the first thing i want to say about my criteria is context matters what i'm going to do is i'm going to drop in the podcast description um so wherever you're listening to this podcast if you read the description for this particular episode i'm going to drop a couple of links to the um first tweets on really great threads of uh, knockouts from MMA and boxing because every year there are probably hundreds of incredibly cool aesthetically pleasing knockouts or submissions um, sometimes they can win the award on this show I'm sure there will be some that wow me uh, I mean essentially regional level MMA when Joaquin Buckley had that kick the other year because it wasn't at a high level and um, we know how poor some of the uh, supporting cast of UFC could be nowadays but that would have won hands down I imagine I'm not really casting my mind back to 2019 or whatever 20 was it 2019 2020 2020 and uh, whenever that was but you know for me that would have won because it was just so fucking cool and unique and aesthetically pleasing and devastating but generally knockout of the year is going to go to something which is in a meaningful high stakes matchup and that's what we've got here. A lot of meaningful high stakes matchups. Finish of the year, not knockout of the year. Just going to go in random order based on how I've written them down. And I've written them down in random order as and when they came to me. Um, maybe this year, 2023, I'll actually, every time I see someone, maybe I'll have a little notes on my phone where I'll just jot them throughout the year so I don't forget. But um, let's start with a sub. Uh, as I say, not in any chronological order or anything like that. Islam Makachev versus Charles Oliveira. Now, you may think that wasn't all that uh, impressive, you know, uh, head and arm triangle or, or whatnot, but the fact of the matter is it's the high stakes and it's who it's against. That's what's important. The performance was great for Makachev, but also Charles Oliveira, known for being quality on the mat and to um, beat him so comprehensively and get him to tap without really even wrenching on him. You know, that's really impressive to me. Um, Michael Chandler knocking out Tony Ferguson. I actually think, although I'd said Tony Ferguson was way past his best for a while, the difference in Ferguson in sharpness, in speed and fluidity in that fight compared to the Nate Diaz fight, that for me is all down to the fact that Michael Chandler took his head off with that kick. Absolutely devastating stuff. And to be, is it the first guy? It's definitely the first guy to have knocked Ferguson out. I mean, obviously Gaethje stopped him on his feet. That was a, you know, just took an absolute shellacking. Um, but... 
people have hurt Tony. He's he's been rocked many times over the years. He's been cut. He's been bruised. He's been dropped and staggered. But to flatten him like that looked great. Not the highest level fighter, Ferguson anymore. If something like that had happened in his prime, you know, hypothetical Chandler comes over to replace uh, Habib in a fight or something and, and does that to Tony Ferguson in his prime um, in a fight where he's already been dropped like he was in the first round against Ferguson in, in the fight they actually had this year, then you're talking about a, a legitimate, like, era-defining, definite end-of-year winning KO. As it stands, deserves to be on the shortlist, but um, because it was this version of Tony Ferguson, it's not going to win the award. Uh, Yuri Pahaska versus Glover Teixeira. Again, didn't really seem to be too much on that choke, but context matters. Back and forth fight. Glover's a better grappler. Glover's a more experienced grappler. For Jiri to tap, to force a tap from Glover Teixeira, really, really impressive. One which was on the New Year's Eve card yesterday. Yuki Motoya versus Rogerio Bontorin. Absolutely incredible knee. Uh, kicked him to the body, backed Bontorin up. Then when uh, Motoya rushed in, Batorin um, went for a reactive takedown and Montoya just caught him with a knee, absolutely flattened him. Incredible stuff. Always wait till the end of the year, guys. Lee Wood versus Michael Conlon. Incredibly aesthetically pleasing knockout. Chopped him down in the last round and sent him out of the ring. Could definitely win this award. Um, I think the reason I haven't given it is because the, uh, the actual fight itself makes an appearance in a later award. So I just kind of wanted to separate him. But... Once I've spoken about this fight later on, I think you'll want to check it out. You definitely want to check the knockout out. It was absolutely brutal. And as I say, context matters. You know, that knockout happening in a fight like that just, whoa, makes you jump out your seat. You just can't fucking believe it. And that stays with you. Alex Pereira versus Israel Adesanya. Again, the ebb and flow of the fight makes this more important. I think if Pereira had been given one or two more shots and had actually flattened Adesanya, it might have won. It might have won. It's not knockout. It's finish of the year. TKOs matter. Um, but it just it lacked that little bit. It means a lot. It's a really meaningful one. And that's why it's on this um, shortlist. Um, way more meaningful than, say, the Sean, Sean Strickland knockout, which looks better, um, which is why that isn't on this shortlist. But we'll talk about Pereira again later. Uh, Leona Pettis uh, absolutely destroying Tatsuyo with a knee, a flying knee in the uh, K1 uh, Grand Prix earlier on in the year was just absolutely sensational. Uh, Leona's really good at throwing like three twos. He throws like a, a left hook and then cracks you with a really choppy uh, right hand. And in this, he, he anticipated Oiwa reacting to that by throwing the left hook, using that to just touch and grab hold of his guard as the hand come up and then bringing the right hand across to pull himself up into the knee. It was the sort of combination of the setup, the execution, the aesthetic quality of the knockout and the fact that Oyo has never been knocked out before that just made that a really, really special uh, knockout. And, and if I was doing this in order or anything like that, it'd definitely be in the top five. Not doing these in order, but it absolutely makes sense to group them uh, as well as I can. Two contenders from the one on Prime Video 1 card. It was a mouthful, as I said at the time. Pampayek, uh, modern Muay Thai great. Well, I've never been a massive fan of it. He's obviously an incredible uh, technical fighter, but you know I've always been a little bit concerned. He's a, just a tad flaky. Um, but Pampayek annihilating Savas Michael. Uh, right hook, already had him going. And then left high kick, flattening him again on the way down. Beautiful to look at. Devastating to hear, and good opponent, Savas Michael, so that was a really good knockout. But from the same card, 
if I was actually putting these in order, maybe my number two would be Demetrius Johnson versus Adriana Moraes too. Um, just really quality stuff from DJ shifting into the punch, um, following him across the ring as he was staggered, across the cage, sorry, as he was staggered, and then hitting him with a flying knee. And again, context matters, because in the first fight, Moraes destroyed, destroyed uh, DJ, and DJ was making essentially a huge comeback to the top. Um, and... You know, a lot of people after the fight were going, is he still won the best pound for pound? Well, I thought Morais was a really good win. Um, I don't think DJ still won the best pound for pound, but it's, I'm really happy to see that he can switch it on again when he needs to. And this fight was a really good one. Um, he had moments of, of struggle in this one and then pulled out the win with an incredible, incredible knockout. But you're overthinking it. You're overthinking it if you try and find any other contender for this award. I just listed loads because there were loads of cool ones this year. Loads of great finishes in loads of great fights by lots of great fighters. But there's no doubt in my mind that if you don't pick this as your finish of the year, then you're just trying too hard. You're a fucking hipster. You're trying to say, look at me. Look how cool I am. I don't buy into that big UFC bullshit. I watch stuff that other people don't watch. I'm so cool. I can appreciate smaller fighters. Fact matter is, if you don't have it as this, you're a fucking idiot. Edwards, KO5, Kamaru Usman in their rematch. If there's anything that I remember from this year of combat sports, it will be this. The fight itself was actually really good. Um, Leon Edwards had a really strong first round. Usman took over and I think put off one of his best performances in the second, third and fourth rounds, essentially mixing up two things which he does well, which is wrestling and striking and, and essentially pressuring people, which he hasn't really put together brilliantly since he's become champion. He either does a bit of this or a bit of that. hasn't really put it all together. Um, and he put it together brilliantly in this matchup. And in the fifth round, Made a, made a mistake. He was coasting. And Leon Edwards set him up. And the reason it means so much to me, this knockout, and the reason for me, it's the far and away winner in this category. There are actually plenty of reasons. And that's why it is so great and why it is so obviously the winner. There's the call. The call when John Alex says, you know, when, when DC and Joe Rogan are sort of saying, oh, I think Leon Edwards has resigned to losing the decision. And John Alec disagrees and says, no, that's not the cloth that he's cut from. And then Edwards pulls it out and... What's great about it as well is Leon's setting it up. He throws that left uh, body kick, that rear side body kick, once. He tries to get a reaction. And then when he throws it, he whips it up high and clatters Usman and knocks him out. It's a brutal knockout. It's not like I said earlier, Pereira Adesanya, where even though it's really important and kind of similar in terms of ebb and flow, coming back to win the belt in the fifth round um, and it being meaningful and it being a rivalry in history, that. That you know, Edwards and Usman has that as well to an extent. Of course, this is their rematch. But the fact that Leon Edwards, a fighter who's not exactly known for going out and sparking people late in fights, a guy who actually likes to coast, he had to pull it out of his ass, and he did it against a guy who's renowned as one of the top three pound for pound fighters in the world, probably second or third, depending on if you ask someone who's actually smart. So for Leon Edwards to do that, you know, it means so much. And Afterwards, his reaction, being on the phone to his mother, crying. Um, Usman taking it so well as well. It kind of makes it quite... Uh, you'd have to be... If he died or something, obviously it wouldn't be on the shortlist. 
Do you know what I mean? So the fact that Usman was fine after the fight and the days after and said, you know, yeah, I took it well and fair play to Leon Edwards for, for winning. And, you know, everything about it just makes it a real great story. Um, and it's also a fucking devastating KO. Um, so for me, it's everything. A great finish is not just, oh, that looks great, you know, spinning kick to the face on a you know a leisure centre on a on a Thursday afternoon. You know, it's got to have something about it. I actually spoke about this when I did a Patreon podcast um, last month called the Top 10 Greatest Boxing Bouts of All Time. It's not just got to be a fun fight. It's got to be some sort of narrative to it. And this one has it. So, yeah, it's the ebb and flow leading to that knockout. It's the story of both these fighters leading that knockout. It's the call from John Anik. The one I always uh, uh, pull up is in the famous Prince Nassim Hamid versus Kevin Kelly bout for Madison Square Garden. Um, Larry Merchant says... You know, Nassim Hamid is supposed to be a really big puncher. We haven't seen any evidence of that power yet as Hamid drops Kevin Kelly. Things like that, they add to the feeling you get from a great moment. And, you know, that call will be forever enshrined. The knockout's going to go in the pantheon of great UFC title fight knockouts. It's absolutely the finish of the year. And as I say, if you disagree... You're just being a bit weird. So yeah, at the height of summer, that was August 20th, 2022, UFC 278. UFC themselves provided, uh, and their fighters obviously, provided um, some of the best moments of the year. That was definitely one of them. Doesn't make the shortlist, although some of the fights I've mentioned do make that shortlist. And the UFC make that shortlist as well. So let's start with the UFC. Moment of the year, bit of a weird one. UFC 279, late notice chaos. So you might go, oh god, that's actually awful. But no, I loved it. Um, Kamsat Chimaev couldn't make weight for his fight with Nate Diaz, which no one ever wanted to see anyway. And then the sort of outbreak of madness on social media and watching the coverage, uh, you know, DC, Laura Sanko and everyone talking about it, um, everyone online speculating and then finding out what the revised card would be where we got Tony Ferguson versus Nate Diaz and Chimaev versus Holland at a catchway and D-Rod versus uh, the Leech at a catchway. It was just absolute chaos. So for me, UFC 279 late notice chaos makes the shortlist. Another UFC one, Alex Pereira has come back against Israel Adesanya. Now you might go, wow, does this make the shortlist? But Leon Edwards one doesn't. Well, Pereira for me, it just it seems like an even more bizarre story that a guy who's had hardly any MMA experience has only been in the UFC for what, 18 months, uh, if that, um, is come on and beaten Israel Adesanya for the title in a fight where I didn't really give him much of a chance of doing so against the run of play in the final round. It just felt amazing. Um, Leon Edwards, it was it was amazing because, as I say, Leon Edwards not really known for being a devastating striker, even though he's got a lot in his toolbox. He really is a very varied and skilled operator. Not known for being that devastating, but to see a guy like Pereira, one of the scariest hitters, Probably the, the scariest hitter pound for pound in combat sports right now. Chasing down Adesanya, trying to get on top of him, and eventually getting that stoppage. Absolutely mind-blowing moment. Now, kind of similar to the Fedor pick last year, one of the most amazing moments of the year for me was uh, Siyoshi Kasaka's win over Miki Ueda. Now, Ueda's a Kikushin karate guy. Um, I know my dear friend, the uh, Kikushin analyst, um, loves him and has rated him for ages 
and they brought him over to fight on uh, Ryzen card. Uh, loads of context needed, obviously. Um, first and foremost, uh, TK, Tsuyoshi Kasaka, well known for his uh, grappling prowess, all the way back in the mid-90s, worked with a load of quality fighters and has fought a lot of quality fighters, has the first win over Fedor Emelianenko, Funnily enough, as I just spoke about him, um, obviously a technicality if you know the uh, circumstances of that, but it's 4 8 who's who, and was 52 going in this fight with a guy in his, I think, early 20s. Um, Kasaka, never known for being a big hitter. Uh, he's, as I say, he's a grappling expert. I think he's a I think he's a judo guy to start off with, but he was taught by Akira Maido, who's one of the, who started rings, who's come from the same sort of lineage that um, a lot of the top, Japanese um, pro-res guys come from, which is, you know, catch wrestling, um, that kind of Carl Gotch, you know, back in, you know, thinking of someone like Satoru Sayama as well, and Masakatsu Funaki, guys that started Shuto and Pancrase, Akira Maeda started Rings. So that's the lineage which TK's career goes all the way uh, back to as well. So that just makes this so more meaningful for a guy who's from the old days of MMA, the really old days, the mid-90s days, the you know, as the sport is still finding its footing, takes on a guy much younger than him, a striking expert. Um, the fight itself is a horrific fight. You should never have made it on paper. Why would you send an old fella in with a young striker, a young dynamic striker? But that's what makes this moment so impressive when TK clobbers him with a right hand and finishes him on the ground. I mean, if TK had sort of got a body lock, took him down and tapped him to a straight arm lock or something, you go, oh yeah, fair enough, the guy knows what he's doing. It's still great that he's won. But in his retirement fight, to take on a younger, uh, faster striking expert and bang him out on the feet is just absolutely incredible. It's just such a heartwarming moment and just means so much. And to be honest with you, if I hadn't given Fedor the win last year, maybe this would have won it. Now we're going to stay in Japan for the last couple of contenders because um, Leona Pettis finally winning the K1 title in the Grand Prix that I mentioned earlier was an amazing uh, moment. Uh, Leona, who's had, you know, wanted to win the title for his mum who died of cancer at quite a young age, fought Takeru, got banged out, lost at the match 2022 card, come back to be a, a slew of quality fighters. Uh, including Hirotaka Asahisa, who was supposed to be the next big thing, the next big challenge of uh, to Takeru, and Leona Pettis won it. It was amazing. Um, as I mentioned in that Grand Prix run, knocked out Oiwa with the uh, with the flying knee. So just a really amazing moment. Um, the Pride theme making appearance at Bellator versus Rising just sent shivers down my spine. I heard the drums. I looked up. Oh my god, it's it's really happening. The Pride theme kicked in. We got to see the combatants see Scott Coco and Sakaki Bara and it just felt it was such a heartwarming moment and just yeah for someone like myself who's a bit older um just felt amazing you know you hear that pride theme sometimes I listen to it just out of leisure I just chuck the pride theme on because it's an absolute banger but to hear it at the event on New Year's Eve in a ring in the Saitama Super Arena oh just yeah made me flush got a tear in my eye it was uh, a really really magic moment but the winner for moment of the year the only way you could beat the Saitama Super Arena, I suppose, is the Tokyo Dome. The match 2022. The main event between Tenshin and Takaru, um, yes, but the whole event, the staging, the extravagance, the, the pageantry of it, and those entrances for Tenshin and Takaru. If I really want to choose moment of the year, not just the event itself, but those entrances. I'm like, come on, we're nearly there. The fight we've wanted for 
half a decade. You know, the most anticipated fight for me in combat sports since Floyd Mayweather versus Manny Pacquiao. And we're getting it closer to these guys' primes than Mayweather and Pacquiao. And they're doing these stupid fucking elaborate entrances. But the fact that it all came off and the fight happened and it was good. And, you know, oh God, moment of the year, 100% was the match. June 19th, 2022. I can't believe it's already over half a year ago. It just... For me, the most amazing combat sports moment of the year. The fight itself, going to talk about in a bit. Um, but without a shadow of a doubt, those two finally facing off in the ring after those entrances, after the event, which the fights themselves were usually interesting rather than explosive. You know, on paper, they were so well matched. Um, but I think a lot of fighters were fighting quite reserved. Uh, I think the... Outside of the main event, the, the best fight of the night was uh, Kaito versus Masaka Noiri. Um But generally, I think, you know, most guys were sort of fighting within themselves just a little bit. Or they were so well matched that we didn't really get anything too explosive. Um, but the event was amazing and went off without a hitch and just far and away winner for moment of the year. But as I say, Leona Pettis finally won the K1 title. TK knocking out Ueda at, at Rising. Um, at 52 years old, the Pride theme uh, at Rising Bellator, the UFC 279 late notice chaos, and Alex Pereira's comeback against Israel Adesanya, they were all amazing moments. There were many more that could have made the list, but the match 2022 was special, and we might not get a winner for moment of the year in the next five years that comes anywhere close to this year's best moment. Next award is round of the year, and it's one that I've flip flopped on a little bit because there's a real, uh, there's a couple of real strong contenders. So let's talk about all of them. Um, one fight had a couple of contenders, which was uh, Sebastian Fandora versus Ericsson Lubin, rounds two and round seven. Now round two was really fun. If you don't know who Fandora is, he's like a six foot seven light middleweight, which in uh, boxing is 154 pounds. And Lubin is a pretty talented and athletic uh, contender. Has been around for a while now. Um, you know, failed on his first attempt for a world title when when Jamal Charlo annihilated him inside of a round. Um, what makes this fight really good is Fandora's just a really, even though he's a massively tall, lanky fighter, he actually fights a bit more like someone like Antonio Margarito. He comes forward, he throws with both hands, and a bit like Bob Foster before him, uh, the great light heavyweight champion, he foregoes his height. Uh, and reach advantage to kind of stoop down, dig his shoulders in, and just wing away. Um, Bob Foster, obviously, not a uh, pressure fighter, but I mean in the sense that he used to give up his height, um, and he'd throw his jab a lot shorter and stiffer, and he'd often uh, bring himself down to his opponent's level and pressure him that way, uh, pressure him into a mistake for a big counter punch. Fondora comes forward and just pressures him, gets stuck in, throws a lot of big shots, a lot of big looping shots and uppercuts, and we saw that in the first round where he... Uh, after being rocked by Lubin, he, right near the end of the round, uh, threw out Southpaw jab, withdrew it, and then threw an uppercut off of it and dropped Lubin. In the seventh round, it was the other way around. Uh, Fandora was all over Lubin. Um, he had a horrific hematoma developing in between his eyes, uh, the American, and uh, then he caught Fandora late. They were just talking again, calls matter, calls matter. They were saying how uh, Fandora's chin is what allows him to fight in the way he does. Lubin caught him with a shot and uh, and dropped him. So those fights, those two rounds, 
really, really good rounds. And it was when knockdowns went against the Nirvana play. And there's a bit more extra in that because Lubin and uh, Fundora's dad, who I think is still his coach, used to take Lubin to uh, boxing events when he was a kid. So And Fundora's obviously younger. So they've after all these years, they now had a big fight. Um, was on the shortlist for fight of the year. You'll see it didn't actually make it. I thought it was a bit too one-sided. But these two rounds when Lubin had his big moments um, and, and Fundora dropped him in, in the second round, um, they were... Um, worthy of getting a chance to talk about this fight it was one I actually never covered on the podcast but it was brilliant uh, really fun at the time um, after that round when Lubin chopped uh, Fundora down Fundora came out beat him back and uh, they actually stopped the, the fight after that round because of the swelling but um, definitely one that's worth checking out but if you don't if you just want to check out the rounds that had the knockdowns you can find that on YouTube as well um, Drew Dober basically needs a category of his own this year because um he probably should have been on knockout of the year for his one over Bobby Green, but he's got a couple of contenders, I think, for round of the year as well. The second round is Rafael Alves, where uh, we have that famously uh, brilliant sequence where uh, Alves is slipping and, and jockeying and, and sort of dancing around and showboating and winging massive big punches. Um, and, and he caught Dober with a, with a head kick, and, and Dober then chases him down, lands big shots. Just a really amazing sequence. But... The first round uh, of Drew Dober versus Terence McKinney. Um, basically, this year with Drew Dober, they said, uh, we're going to put you in with fighters who are better athletes than you three times in a row um, that are all uh, varying levels of dangerous and or difficult to fight. And Drew Dober went, that's all right, I'll just fucking knock all of them out. So um, the first round with McKinney immediately dropped. Uh, McKinney just explosive, athletic, throwing the kitchen sink at Dober. Hurts him a couple of times. And as we know, Drew Dober's got an amazing chin. That adds to the contact. That adds, adds to why this round is so great. You see Drew Dober sort of uh, swimming against the tide. And then Dober just basically outlasts him, drops him, gets on top of him and forces the stoppage. And it's just an amazing turn of events between two really exciting action fighters. Um, another round which... Just another first round, which just the whole fight took place in between two incredible action fighters, Charles Oliveira versus Justin Gaethje. Um, Oliveira dropped. It's hard, tough to tell with Chucky when he's dropped or when he's just goading you in uh, and hoping to uh, beckon you into his guard. But dropped definitely hurt at least once. Um, works his way into the fight. Obviously hits Gaethje with knees, drops him with punches, gets his back, chokes him out. Amazing stuff, properly violent stuff, um, just great, great, great stuff to see and, and one of the best rounds of the year, 100%. Now, I took a little moment away from the computer, needed to get a drink and needed to have a think. And I think the decision I've come to is that I'm actually going to crown a joint winner for round of the year. And the reason I'm going to do that here is because, A, I find these both of these uh, rounds quite hard to separate. Oh, hold on. See, I was going to say, I'll give it round of the year as a joint, but then I can't give fighter of the year as a joint, and I think fighter of the year, I might need to give a joint award. Do you know what? I need to stop being a pussy. I cannot give a joint award, but I will play clips from both of these. So this is what I thought was going to win round of the year, probably for much of the year, to be honest with you. Left hook from Harrison. Oh, he's cut. Drop it. 
Harrison versus Muang Thai fight at one one five six, uh, April twenty second, Singapore. Um, I thought that was going to win. To be honest, with you it's, it's an incredible one round shootout. Uh, for those that are not aware, Liam Harrison is a long time uh, Muay Thai and kickboxer from uh, Muay Thai fighter and kickboxer from the UK, and he's fought all around the world. He's constantly been up there competing with international opponents. Great left hook, uh, just a top quality fighter. Uh, Mung Tai was a previous stadium champion. Uh, for me, he's one of the deadliest offensive fighters of the last 10 years in all of combat sports. Um, he is an elbow specialist. He drops people with elbows like Deontay Wilder drops people with punches. Um, and as you heard from that clip, if you haven't seen the fight, you need to stop listening to this podcast right away. Go to YouTube, search Liam Harrison um, 1. Uh, I'm not going to spout Mung Tai, but you know if you can figure that out, Put Liam Harrison Mung Tai in there. Watch the fight. It's less than you know three minutes long. Um, so watch it. It's an incredible shootout. Harrison dropped twice. The tie gets dropped thrice. And the reason I don't think it's one outright. I was going to give a joint award. And I thought myself. And I thought I really don't like the free knockdown rule. And I made such a big deal about it. And I don't like the free knockdown rule. And I don't like any knockdown rule. I think you know you can get knocked off your feet and still be with it. And it's it's archaic. And you know robs us of great fights. I mean, if they'd stopped Juan Manuel Marquez, Manny Pacquiao won after three knockdowns, then, uh, you know, who knows how that could have played out. And, um, well, sorry, if it had been stopped, we never would have known how it played out. We know how it played out. It was an absolute classic, and Marquez pulled himself back into the fight. Now, for me, Wang Tai didn't want anything to do with this after the third knockdown, but it might well be because he knew he'd lost because of the knockdown rule. So, even though the action was incredible, even though Harrison pulled the win out of his ass, it wasn't quite as conclusive as the finish in the fight that I'm giving round of the year. Oh, man, Matt's got to be what careful. Oh, big left hand for Sumu Darji. Momentarily stumbles Schnellu, then eats a body kick. This is where Schnell's got to control himself, right? He has a tendency that right here to want to brawl back. Got to stick to what works. Ooh. Oh, here's the gear. landed. He knows about that left hand, too. He's well aware that that's Man. the weapon he's got to be careful of. Sumudarji is throwing, and he's landing now. Oh! Looked like Sumudarji might have slipped there. Yeah, it was just from the leg kick on the inside. Knocked him off balance. Mudarji manages distance quite well. 
when these big, long guys learn to fight long, they become very, very difficult. And Mudarji understands that. When he loves to just sit back and make you fall right on that left hand. Come on in here. The water's nice. <laughs> Bang. Yeah. Left hand. Yep. Possesses a lot of power oh. in a small weight class. Oh, my oh. goodness. Huge left for Sumo Darji. Snell on the ground now. Trying to recover. Nice job from Snell to be able to get back up on that single leg. He He's right back in the danger. He has got to get out of the way of that left hand, man. And this is, nice what, from Snell. this is where Snell's got to be careful. Like you said, John. He's got to fight that urge. Oh! Huge standing elbow now oh, for Super Doji. That was beautiful. That was nasty. Because he, he frames up and lands it again. He's got the range. He's the longer guy. So he grabs you and then turns that elbow over. Freezing Snell. What is keeping him up right now? My no goodness. Idea. Here dude. comes another one. The recoverability of Matt Schnell. Oh, what's the lead? So oh far his own offense. Oh, Darcy. my goodness. Snell should be going backwards a little bit. Instead of recovering, he's still trying to fight. But he knows he's a savage when he's in there. He needs a shot. Oh! oh. Man, he is getting ripped oh! up. And then he coming back. Dude, he is pausing him with his, with his punches. Yeah, every time he it's lands, like he it's shuts just him off and he wakes for up. For a second. Yeah. It's crazy. And remarkably, still two minutes oh! to go round two. <laughs> Get now big for Snow. Oh! Wow. Come on. Oh, he's getting bumped. This is when I want to start throwing oh! stuff. Big elbows for Schnell. Oh, Super Dorji now in trouble. Oh, my goodness. Super Dorji trying to control posture. Schnell gets oh. the elbow through. And he's busting oh. him up bad. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Matt Schnell is a warrior. Oh, my goodness. He's got to just keep punching. Schnell's got to keep oh. full round of the year not comeback of the year though I imagine uh, this would have been right up there if I was doing that one match now uh, submission well not really submission more of a knockout round two versus Suma Daji in an absolutely mental uh, round um, I thought about it and I thought Liam Harrison and Wang Tai great round but you know stopped on essentially a technicality 
you know, and also Mang Tai, the elbow specialist, he's not dropping Liam Harrison with his patented elbows. So we got great elbows in this. I love Sumadaji's work framing up to create uh, work for that lead elbow, the open stance matchup, landing the kicks. He used all sorts of uh, techniques. There's so much variance in his work. Match now, nowhere near as good on the feet, but chipped away, stuck in there, dropped multiple times, hurts his man, reactive double, gets on top, pounds him with ground and pound and elbows. Eventually, you know, fucks up the triangle on first attempt, takes him out of it eventually anyway, um, completely unconscious. Um, and basically, for me, it just showed all facets of what makes MMA great. We had striking, we had grappling, we had submissions, we had ground and pound. There was Clara everywhere. Um, it was somewhat spoiled by DC's attempt at sort of fake histrionics. It was not needed. Um, that sort of high-pitched thing he does, I really don't like it. When I spoke earlier about how important the call can be, um, he almost spoiled it for me. But when I think about it and I think about how much was shown in that round, the violence, uh, the ebb and flow, the seemingly improbable comeback and the absolutely disgusting finish it's got to be round of the year and mr schnell congratulations on being one half of the round of the year but this fight just showed why you do deserve to be paid a whole lot more now i think fight of the year and fighter of the year the two big awards on this show but I'm actually going to go with Fight of the Year before Performance of the Year and Fighter of the Year because Performance of the Year and Fighter of the Year are somewhat tied together in this particular year's award. So I'm actually going to go with Fight of the Year first. And there were plenty of good fights. I'm just going to reel some off. Um, one from earlier on in the year, which I didn't want to forget, was Victor Henry versus Rowney Barcelos. I spoke about it on this podcast and on Heavy Hands, so... You can go and check those episodes out if you want to hear an in-depth breakdown. But it's a wonderful two-way technical. Uh, Henry overcoming the more athletic Barcelos. Uh, just loads of uh, really detailed work from both of them. And one that's well worth checking out. Um, Kamzat Chimaya versus Gilbert Burns kind of just was more competitive than I thought it was going to be. Ended up being a complete slobber knocker. Drew Dober, as I say, should probably probably have an honorary Action Fighter of the Year award this year because his fights with uh, Terence McKinney, Rafael Alves and Bobby Green were all real strong contenders. Bobby Green, I think, uh, overall was the best fight out of them. I think, as I say, I think Dober versus McKinney was the best single round um, that he had, but the whole fight with Bobby Green and that knockout probably should have been in my knockout of the year contenders as well. Um, Drew Dober really should be on the shortlist for fighter of the year. I mean, you haven't just got to beat the top, top guys um, to be fighter of the year. Drew Dober has had three excellent stoppage wins against fighters that are all more athletic than him, essentially. Um, just what a fucking year he's had. But all three of those fights are on the shortlist for fight of the year. Um, Piotr Jan versus Sean O'Malley. Don't care what you think about the decision. Um, brilliant fight. Sean O'Malley really stepped up. Again, just completely exceeded expectations, made it a great fight, hurt Piotr Jan, got hurt himself, came back. Um, all three rounds were varying levels of excellent. Um, the third round in particular was an absolute banger. Probably should have been in round of the year shortlist, but the whole fight uh, gets on the fight of the year shortlist anyway. Um Context really matters, okay? It really matters. Tension versus Takaru was not actually all that competitive all the way through. Tension dropped Takaru in the first round, um, sort of dictated it, 
a bit more in the second round and then start flopping about a bit in the third round as Takaru desperately tried to land that left hook. And we had these wild uh, sequences in the third round. So it's the fact that although tension won pretty clear um, and Takaru never quite got the big shots off and tension was a little bit flopping around and trying to waste time as the, as the, as the last round went on, um, Given the event that I've already spoken about, this moment of the year, and given the fact that the fight still did somewhat deliver, and how I felt at the time, it makes the shortlist. But unfortunately, not fight of the year. If Takaru had banged him out in the last ten seconds of the third round, it would have won knockout of the year, fight of the year, moment of the year, round of the year. I imagine um, it just would have been everything. But it was not to be. Um, and not to say that as a Takaru fan, but I mean in terms of what that would have meant to how we evaluated the the fight as a whole. But um still gets on the shortlist. Now, I imagine in many other years, uh, Yuri Prohaska versus Glover Teixeira would have won this award because an amazing fight that went deep into the fifth round um, and just that it just it was sloppier and wilder and more violent than those other two fifth round finishes I spoke about, the Edwards Usman 2 and the uh, Adesanya Pereira 3 um, fights. You know, it was just sloppier and violent and wild and crazy and that finish just seemed to really just come out of nowhere as I said earlier uh, Yuri uh, tapping making Glover tap was not something that would have been on my prediction list um, but unfortunately uh, this year in boxing one of the best fights I've ever seen happened Just needs to switch on here. Just relax a little bit. It's coming out probably a little bit shell shocked from that heavy knockdown, and he doesn't want to switch up in range of Conlon because Conlon is straight down to work. Oh, he's hurt again. Same left hand. He's trying to hold on. The legs have gone, and there's still well over two minutes of the round to go. Lee Wood is desperately holding on here. Conlon is cut by the left eye, but that's the least of his concerns here as he fires away. Wood's in big, big trouble. Wood's in Conlon produce a sensational finish. Find this level of courage, this level of resistance as Lee Wood fires and scores the knockdown at the end of the round. Conlon saying he slips. His corner is saying he slips. But Lee Wood somehow has come back to score a knockdown. It was so eagerly anticipated and he's living up to the billing as they flail away in the centre of the ring. Lee Wood is doing exactly what he needed to do, what I was asking him to do, and he's going for broke, and he's having success! It's over! It's all over! After a minute and 20 seconds of the final round, we have seen one of the most astonishing turnarounds in a world title. Lee Wood, KO12, Michael Conlon, the 2022 Combat Chronicles Fight of the Year. Um, just an absolute classic. Um, Michael Condon, for me, had been a disappointment as a pro. Um, he was a former world amateur champion, just a quality fighter in, in that regard. Um, as an amateur, he was the uh, European champ as well and famously was uh, somewhat shafted at the Olympics. But... As a pro, Adam really majorly impressed me. Um, not a massive puncher, really. 
um, puts in an incredible shift against Lee Wood, drops him early, batters him around the ring, and then Lee Wood, as the fight goes on, works his way in, makes the adjustments, starts working the body, gets a knockdown in the 11th, which you guys heard from. Conlon was saying he slipped. Well, if he slipped in the 11th, he didn't slip in the 12th because Lee Wood finally caught up to him, banged him out against the ropes, sent him out of the ring onto the ground in a fight where, for most of it, he'd been on cloud cuckoo land, essentially, not knowing what was going on, so badly hurt. Um, Just an incredible fight. Truly one of the best um, boxing matches I've seen. And when on the uh, Patreon episode, which I mentioned earlier, the top 10 greatest boxing matches of all time, I didn't mention this because I knew it would give away the fact that this fight had won fight of the year. So yes, you heard that right. Me, the boxing history guy, uh, rating Lee Wood versus Michael Conlon as one of the best fights I've ever seen and an actual contender for my top 10 of all time. Probably be top 20, to be honest with you. Um, but if you want to hear more about this fight, I think you should just stop what you're doing and just go and find it on YouTube. I'm sure it's on there. Extended highlights are on there. But I recommend seeing the whole fight to really get the full picture of why everything about this fight was so amazing. Um, again, one of the reasons I didn't mention it on that podcast, one of the reasons I, didn't, I was alluded to earlier on the knockout of the year, didn't really want to go into it that much before I gave it its dues as fight of the year. Um, but if you want to hear more about it, Episode 9 of Combat Chronicles on this feed. The episode is called An Instant Pugilistic Classic. And I stand by that. Definite fight of the year. You know, people are going to go, uh, What? Prohaska versus fucking Glover Teixeira was better? Watch this fight. If you're not biased and you just love all fights like I do and all combat sports, I'm pretty sure you're going to agree with me. Lee Wood versus Michael Condon. Instant fucking classic. The last two categories are going to have me probably go into some real mad tangents and discussions as I battle with myself uh, to pick performance of the year and fighter of the year. Performance of the year, I'm pretty happy with the winner. It's just how much does that play into fighter of the year as well? And I really think it does. So let's take an ad break and we'll come back after this. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And we're back. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to go through the performances of the year that haven't won the award. And then I'm going to go through the fighters of the year that haven't won the award. And then I'm going to go through the performances of the year and those fighters that won and figure out who deserves to win fighter of the year. Because uh, the person who wins performance of the year isn't necessarily going to win fighter of the year. But the three frontrunners for fighter of the year have all got one outstanding performance over an elite fighter and one winning performance against a non-elite fighter. It's just weighing up which of those two winning streaks is enough to win fighter of the year. So some great performances that I really like from 2022. Uh, Calvin Cater versus Giga Chikadze. Loved Cater's uh, performance and, and the just absolute beating that he dished out. Great elbow performance. Just excellent, excellent stuff. Uh, another one from more recent was a boxing match. Uh, Kenshiro versus Kiyaguchi. Um, Kenshiro unifying uh, belts at 108 pounds with a brilliant performance. Great at range with a wonderful finishing sequence as well. Great knockout. I probably should have mentioned that actually in the uh, knockout of the year. What a wanker. Now I already know who's one performance of the year, but I'm going to come back in a second as I talk about those other front runners as well. The other contenders for fighter of the year are Alex Pereira, who for me, it's just my opinion on the 185 pound division being top heavy and somewhat weak. Um, I've mentioned Pereira many times in this podcast. Obviously, spoke about him extensively on this podcast um, on the Patreon and on Heavy Hands as well. Written about Pereira, he's, I'm a big fan of his, um, but you know, the win over Silva didn't really mean all that much, um, just a decent middleweight, he's not bad, he's not great. The win over Strickland resounding as it was and as glorious as it was to watch uh, play out in real time and to re-watch over and over and over again. Strickland, as effective as he is and as fiddly as he is, and he's just not very good, and it's an indictment on the division that he's a top five fighter. Um, so, yeah, good win. Great for Pereira to smash him inside a round and go 3-0 in the year, including that unbelievable win over Adesanya for the middleweight title. What a man. What a fighter. What a power striker. You know, if it's not his kicks, it's his knees. And if it's not his knees, it's famously his hands. His right hand is great, but that left hand is an all-timer. But I just don't think there was enough quality there to win fighter of the year. There's enough quality from the being the top four or the top five as it stands, because he's in the top five for me. He is, I'm actually going to do this in order, he is the fifth fighter in the fighter of the year rankings. In fourth place is Patricio Pitbull. Now, I thought that Pitbull might have won this award, to be honest with you. That's how closely contested it is this year. Um, I think with Pitbull, he overcome the devastating first round loss to AJ McKee, which happened so quickly and violently to absolutely dissect him and win the decision and win the title back, which says a lot because, you know, at this stage of his career, Pitbull is small for 145. McKee is now fine at 155 and looks 
absolutely fine there in terms of his uh, size. So we've got a small 145-pounder, an ageing 145-pounder, coming off a devastating loss to the same guy, and then just coming back, picking himself up, showing the poise, picking him apart and winning, in my opinion, a relatively easy decision, although McKee did have his moments. And then got takes on Adam Boric, who's another quality fighter. Talked about fights that I missed off fight of the year. Uh, Adam Boric versus Mads Bernal from earlier on in the year was another great two-way technical that I spoke about on the podcast. Loved that one. Um, Boric is a quality fighter, really dangerous. He's like a Muay Thai striker type of uh, operator. And Pitbull just took him apart. Again, a much bigger guy and a guy that I rate. And then he's gone over to Rising on New Year's Eve and beat their champion, uh, Kleber Koike Erbst. So he's essentially, even though it's not a fighter I particularly rate in terms of all-round modern MMA game, Pitbull's now gone and beat a champion from another organisation as well. That's just a really important thing when you're trying to prove your divisional dominance. So for me, Pitbull is a 135-pounder, fighting at 145 pounds. He's getting old. He does what he does. He does it brilliantly. It's not that pleasing on the eye. He slows down fights. He uh, fights at his own pace. He picks you apart. He's very economic. He knows how to run the clock down. But the fact matter is that he's doing it consistently. He's 3-0 on the year, wins the bout back, defends it, then beats another champion. That's why he's in the top five. So it's going to seem contrived, but the top three contenders for performance of the year are also uh, the top three contenders for fighter of the year. So, And it's to make it seem even more fucking contrived. One's from boxing, one's from kickboxing, and one's from MMA, which are you know the three primary sports that this podcast covers. But I can assure you, once I talk you through the uh, contenders, you'll see that it's just fair. So let's work our way sort of backwards to the number one spot performance of the year. Talk about what made these three performances so great. And then we'll talk about what else these fighters done this year and try and figure out right now who's won fighter of the year. So the top three performances of the year. Number three. Oh, can I do it? Oh, it's... Oh, God. Oh. Tension Nascawa versus Takaru. See, I wanted to have this at number two, but I don't think it's really fair for me to do so, and this is why. So, Tension, he did, he is smaller than Takaru, that's 100% true. He did make Takaru drain himself to make uh, a catch weight, and that sort of uh, diminishes the win a little bit. He didn't finish his, yeah, that strongly, sort of flopping around a little bit in the third round to try and see it out. Also, it's only a three round fight. You know, if he'd done it over five rounds, I'd have been even more impressed. But to dominate Takaru, his great rival, to drop him, to go out on his kickboxing retirement, beating the great rival of his generation, um, is just an incredible achievement in front of so many people. He looked so sharp. He looked so good. He looked on point. Um, he put it all together in a way that he hadn't done in some of his previous fights when it seems he was just focusing on his boxing, even though his hands looked so sharp. So, And another thing that's important about these three guys, they're all fighting guys that are ranked by most people in the top two or three pound for pound, certainly by myself. Takaru, I had him number two pound for pound. I had tension number one. Uh, you know, some people would have Superbond number one. I had these two, number one and number two, going into this fight. Um, incredible performance. So number two is Dimitri Bivol beating Saul Canelo Alvarez. Um, he's obviously bigger, so tension gets points of being smaller. Bivol is naturally bigger and taller. But what's great about his performance is, for years, I thought that, you know, the, the way to beat Canelo, 
who was an actual counterpuncher for much of his uh, career, is to basically force him to lead and to have the ability and skill to circumnavigate him and not allow him to build any rhythm or build any reads. And But actually, in, in recent years, Canelo's got so much better at fighting on the front foot, so much better at drawing those leads, and he's just become more of a complete fighter. Bivol was able to beat him at range, outbox him and beat him to the punch and hit him with more impressive combinations and stop Canelo getting off too much offense. And Canelo was good in this fight. You know, if it was just a, a, a whitewash, you might go, oh, maybe Canelo just, he ain't that good for this weight. But he had his moments. He did manage to get Bivol on the ropes and fire off some combinations. He did manage to cut the ring off and we saw Bivol have answers to that, pivoting out and retaking centre ring. So it wasn't just a case of bad styles matchup. It was a case of great performance against the fighter who... Due in part to Alexander Usyk's intermittent fighting schedule over the last couple of years as he's moved to heavyweight, um, fighting guys that are essentially less prestigious. I know AJ's a big star, but not the kind of fight that gets you pound for pound clout, uh, although I still have Usyk number two or number one myself. Um, well, I have number one now because uh, Bivol beat the guy Canelo, who was seen by most as the number one pound for pound fighter in the sport. A guy who won titles at light middleweight, was the lineal champion at middleweight, Unified all the bouts at super middleweight and add, you know, one about a light heavyweight as well. A cherry pick one, but still an impressive feat all the same, given it was against Sergei Kovalev. So um, for Bivol to beat him so comprehensively in a fight where he put it all together. See, the reason it really blows my mind this performance, I picked Bivol to, uh, sorry, I picked Canelo to beat Bivol. I just thought he'd have the answers. Bivol for me shows flashes, but also bit of a round snoozer, takes time off. He did in the second fight he had this year as well, which we'll talk about in a minute. But against Canelo, he put it all together against the best fighter he'd ever faced and against maybe the best fighter in the world. So performance of the year was the virtuoso dominant performance by Alexander Volkanovsky in his third fight with Max Holloway. Um, I spoke about this podcast at length as well. Let me find the episode. Episode 20. So UFC 276, Volkanovsky... Um, I think the best way to watch this performance of the year is to watch the other fights first. Watch Holloway Vault 1, watch Holloway Vault 2, and watch Holloway Vault 3. Because in a way, they kind of feel like a 15-round fight. Uh, Volkanovski earlier on winning, uh, the, winning the, the range battle, Holloway starting to figure him out, and then in the second fight, or you know, in the 6th and 7th and 8th round, Holloway really starts to build on that, starts to get down Reed, starts to herd Volkanovski into big shots, dropping him. Then Volkanovski figures him out, you know, rounds three, four and five. And then in the last five rounds in this performance of the year that I'm talking about, just completely figures Holloway out and trounces him. Um, For me, I know it wasn't probably a popular opinion, but I had Volkanovski number one pound for pound, which is now, you know, general consensus. Um, But because of how close their uh, second fight was and due to how great he had been beforehand and how great he'd been in between the second and third fights, I had Max Holloway number two pound for pound. I really did think that he was the second best fighter in one of the UFC's uh, marquee divisions and had gone tit for tat with a guy who for me was very clearly the best pound for pound fighter in the world. So the fact that Holloway trounced him, uh, completely dominated him, uh, it was a matador, he was talking to him, he was leading him into shots, he was slipping Holloway's attacks with just the smallest of distances and walking him into big shots and then was in the fifth round chasing him around, letting off just a salvo of punches. Just everything Volkanovski did in that fight was note perfect against one of the best fighters in MMA. So um, Holloway's face was a mess, Volkanovski won the trilogy 
Um, proved once and for all he's the best pound for pound fighter in the world maybe the greatest featherweight of all time Um, and just an incredible incredible virtuoso performance so all three guys put on great showings against fellow uh, top uh, pound for pound fighters Uh, Bivol now is in the sort of top five to ten pound for pound in boxing if you'd asked me that in January 2022 I would have said you were crazy as I said he'd shown flashes but he'd never really put it all together wasn't completely sold on him. Um, Tension is now uh, probably going to ride off into the sunset and make money in boxing, uh, but beat his great uh, domestic rival and one of the hardest punchers in all of combat sports. An incredible performance in an incredible event. Just unbelievable. Um, And, you know, Volkanovski beat Holloway, but what else do they do? So, Bivol... Only really beat Zerdo as well, which I spoke about on the podcast as well. Gilberto Ramirez, good uh, suit middleweight and light heavyweight, but not great in his long uh, undefeated career. He hasn't really ever fought anyone. But Bivol generally just beat him easily. Um, there were times where he took his foot off the gas, which I don't tend to like from him, but he won easily. So a good win over a well-known fighter. But I guess the point I'm making is if he'd already also beaten like Baturbiev instead of Ramirez... Um, then he would have clearly won fighter of the year. wouldn't have even been a debate. Um, with Tension, he'd be um, stable mate, a guy trained by his father, but an actual fight against Kazane, who's a ranked fighter uh, for Rise, good young fighter, um, quite a competitive fight. Tension didn't look that great in it. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't really add too much either, but a ranked fighter and a talented one all the same. But Alexander Volkanovsky beat the Korean Zombie in another virtuoso performance in which he stopped him, battered him, looked great. Had everyone talking for days about what a brilliant fighter he was. Really started to stamp um, his authority on that pound-for-pound number one spot even before he beat Max Holloway. And even though Korean Zombie is somewhat past it, he is a ranked contender and it was a brilliant performance and more definitive, really, than tensions over Kazane and uh, Bivol's over Zerdo Ramirez. So I guess what I'm saying is... Alexander Volkanovsky is the fighter of the year. I guess if Aljamain Sterling had actually beaten TJ Dillashaw when he wasn't injured, this would have been more of a uh, sort of six-man race. That might have really given me something to think about, but... It's that second win uh, which has sort of made it a hard decision to make this year. Because of that one being so inferior, I had to dismiss Aljamain Sterling, even though he beat Piotr Jan uh, so well um, in a fight which kind of like the Pitbull AJ McKee thing. It's just like after the first fight, you think he's not got a chance. For him to do that was really impressive. Pitbull had a greater uh, performance over the year. And as I say, I give him uh, extra credit for being the smaller man in all three of those fights, whereas Aljamain Sterling appears to be a humongous uh, band and weight. Um, but yeah, it really was down to that. Pereira, for me, those two extra wins he had didn't even equate to being as meaningful to me as either one of the second wins for uh, Tenshin Naskawa, Dmitry Bivol or Alex Volkanovsky, which is why he didn't make the, uh, he wasn't in that top three bracket. I think that's fair. If you disagree, obviously hit me up on Twitter at CombatCR. Hope you like this uh, end of year award show. Hopefully love this year of fights. Let's hope 2023 brings us some more great ones. Um, thanks so much for your support over the first year of this podcast. Here's to many more. If you like what you heard on this episode, maybe you're a new listener and you want to hear more, obviously the back catalogue on this feed is readily available. But if you want to hear some exclusive stuff, hit me up on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Combat Chronicles. That 
patron money helps to uh, make even more in-depth and more long-form projects which people seem to have enjoyed so far so if you want to help support that and if you want to consume that as we go into uh, 2023 check out patreon tell your friends but for anyone who has taken even a minute out of their uh, year to listen to this podcast i really appreciate it um, i'm sure you agree that it's got better over the year in terms of the presentation in terms of my sort of comfort level um but i just appreciate all you guys supporting me and i hope you enjoyed these end of year awards i'm sure they'll provoke some debate what is an award show without debate so as i say hit me up on twitter at combat cr Another way you can help the podcast, which is completely free, is by giving it a five-star rating and review on your preferred platform because that helps it become more visible to others. There'll be another episode of this one dropping soon. Until then, peace out and I hope 2023 ends up treating you well. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.